0: Rebecca Meidinger. Thank you for joining me on the Seeking Pearls podcast. This episode is episode number four in our series on the Apostle Paul. The series is called Paul, His Journeys, His Letters, His Jesus. This summer we are journeying with the Apostle Paul from before he met Christ. The first episode looked at Paul BC, Paul before Christ and what his life was like prior to his conversion. The second episode looked specifically at his conversion on the Damascus Road when Jesus revealed himself to Saul. Last week, we focused on the hidden years. In the hidden years, we see that Saul, after he came to Christ, he did a little bit of ministry in Damascus and then his life was threatened and he went into Arabia for what appears to have been a period of, of up to three years. And during that time, it seems that he must have just sought Jesus, met with Jesus, and Jesus revealed to him great truths about himself, about the Trinity, about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, all of the theology that makes up Paul's letters that he shows us in his letters is probably theology that Jesus taught him during that time in Damascus, or I'm sorry, during that time in Arabia. And the reason that we know he received his theology directly from Jesus is because he says in his letter to the Galatians, he says that the message that he preached, he did not receive from any human beings, but by direct revelation from Jesus himself. So we know that Jesus took time with Saul probably in Arabia during his hidden years, revealing the great mysteries of the gospel to Saul so that he could preach them around the world. Tonight we're going to look at two things that happen at the same time. We're going to look specifically at his year of preaching in Antioch and the city of Antioch, which became the church that sent out Paul and Barnabas on their mission missionary journeys, it became the hub of the early Christian church. So the hub of the church really moved from Jerusalem to Antioch in Syria. We're going to look at that. But primarily in this episode, we are going to look at the person of Barnabas. We're going to talk about what it means to be a Barnabas and what it means to find a Barnabas in your life. So we're really really going to look at who he was in Paul's life, and the significance of having a Barnabas and being a Barnabas. So to start with, we are going to pick up where we left off. If you are following along, you might remember that after Saul spent three years in Arabia, he went back to Damascus briefly, and then he went into Jerusalem met with Simon and a couple of the other apostles for about two weeks, 15 days. He stayed with Simon Peter. I had begun to mention on the last episode, but as I listened back, I realized I didn't actually finish my thought. I had begun to say that wouldn't it be amazing to have like a recording of what Peter and Paul talked about for the 15 days when Paul stayed at Peter's house? I mean, here we have Peter, Jesus' rock. When Peter said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of the living God, Jesus said to him, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I believe probably the rock on which Jesus built his church is the declaration that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Peter is the first one who ever declared that, and it's on that rock that Jesus was going to build his church, that truth that Peter declared. So we have Peter, and then, oh, I just love Peter. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, and then who three times was asked by Jesus on the beach in John chapter 21 after the resurrection, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times, just... So beautiful. Such a deep reconciliation that happened between Jesus and Peter and Jesus offering such a beautiful forgiveness. And then Peter, the great preacher of Pentecost and the first person to suffer for the for the gospel as he preaches boldly with John in the city of Jerusalem, just preaches the name of Jesus and is physically punished for it. I mean, Peter, we have Peter here and then we have Paul who just spent three years in Damascus, receiving the revelations that Jesus wanted to show him, the teaching, the theology that Jesus like downloaded into him during his time in Arabia. And now they're together for 15 days. And can you imagine the conversation between these two great apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ? What a phenomenal thing for us to just think about So anyway, Paul stayed with Peter for 15 days. We covered that last week. It's mentioned briefly in Acts chapter nine. And then Paul is in Jerusalem and he again has death threats. And so it says that the believers, the Christian church learned of these death threats and they took him down to Caesarea, which was a port city. And they sent him off to Tarsus, which was his home. So they send him off to Tarsus and what f- happens is that he actually spends approximately 10 years, we believe, in Tarsus at his home, possibly with his family, possibly not with his family, p- probably doing ministry. It seems he goes through quite a bit of suffering during that time for the sake of the gospel. And and then we are going to meet up with him in our text for tonight in Acts chapter 11. We really don't have anything else from that decade that he spent in Tarsus. And so it's only speculation what happened during that time. But I talk about that a little bit in episode number three. So you can go back and get that one if you haven't yet. But we're going to uh, pick up tonight where we left off. It is almost a decade later. And Peter has now received a vision to go preach to Cornelius and to welcome Cornelius and Cornelius's household, who were Gentiles, into the gospel. So Peter has now received directly from God, from the Holy Spirit, the truth that the gospel is for the Gentiles as well, not just the Jews. Peter has received that message directly from the Lord, and we are going to meet up with the church in Antioch, which is also now realizing that we need to preach to the Gentiles, not just to the Jews. And so they are going out and doing ministry directly to the Gentiles. And that's where we're going to meet them tonight. Antioch is a city about 300 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It is in Syria. And It was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire at this time. So it's a very large city. Estimates I've seen have shown that population of Antioch may have been up to 250,000 people. So it's a very large city. Also very, very pagan. A ton of worship to false gods, uh, temple prostitution, a great deal of sinful practices going on in the midst of their, their temple worship in Antioch. And it is where uh, the Christian church began first reaching out to the Gentiles, and it grew immensely, and that is going to be the center of our conversation tonight. So I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of the people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Okay, so you might be wondering, okay, how does she know that was like 10 years after Saul had went off to Tarsus before Barnabas came and got him and brought him back to Antioch? The reason 10 years is a really good guess is because in Galatians chapter 2, right at the beginning, Paul is writing to the Galatians and he says, after 14 years, I went back to Jerusalem. And it seems that he is saying, after 14 years, after I was converted to Jesus, after Jesus revealed himself on the road to Damascus, 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. We're going to see that as we get closer to the end of the podcast. We're going to see where Paul and Barnabas travel to Jerusalem together. We have three years that he spent in Arabia. We have probably a decade in Tarsus, and then we have one year where he ministered in Antioch with Barnabas, and that equals 14. So that is why we assume he was in Tarsus, back at, in his homeland, preaching the gospel, working in his tent-making business, and waiting for the Lord to release him, to unleash him to preach the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And this is the beginning of that. What I really want to do is talk a little bit about this Antioch church. So we see some really exciting thing, things happening in Antioch. First of all, the reason that the church was growing so much in Antioch was because after Stephen was persecuted, actually it's so cool because it's it's because of Saul. I mean, obviously it's because of God. But God used Saul so mightily. Even when he was persecuting Christians, God was using him because the text said, we looked at this Uh, during the first episode, that after the stoning of Stephen, it says that Saul began to persecute the church extremely harshly. It says in the text he was trying to destroy the church. And because of that, the Christians in Jerusalem scattered. They scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And here it says they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean, and Antioch is 300 miles away. Phoenicia is up to the northwest of Jerusalem. Antioch is to the northeast 300 miles. This is really far. Would have taken many, many, many days for them to travel that far. And they travel to escape persecution, and when they get there some of the people are from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyrene is a city in northern Africa and Cyprus is an island in like I said, uh, in the Mediterranean and some people from Cyprus and Cyrene are like we need to preach to the Greeks, not just the Jews so praise the Lord. He had given this message to Peter and he had given this message to these men from Cyprus and Cyrene and way back the first person, as far as we know, to get this message that the gospel is also for the Gentiles, it seems was to Paul, because Paul is the one that God said that He is going to. He is my chosen instrument to preach the gospel to the to the Gentiles, and so Paul had received the message. Now Peter received the message. Now these men from Cyprus and Cyrene are receiving the message. The message is being spread by the Holy Spirit that the gospel is for all people. Gentile, Jew, slave, free, male, female, everybody, every social class, every race, every ethnicity on the planet, the gospel is for them. So that is spurring on the church in Antioch. The Holy Spirit is just lighting a fire in Antioch. And it says the Lord's hand was with the church at Antioch, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The next thing it says is that news about this reached Jerusalem. So there's a really very high likelihood that the the Christians in Jerusalem, who were primarily Jewish, almost entirely Jewish, there is a very, very high likelihood that they were a mixture of very excited, but also very nervous and not sure what the next steps were that the gentiles are also becoming christians and there's more of that to come as we go through this series this summer but the first thing that it says is that they sent barnabas to antioch barnabas was a levite he was from the family of priests the priestly line and they trusted him and his commitment to torah and his commitment to all of the old testament everything that moses had had, had handed down And they they trusted him. And so they were like, Barnabas, you go check out what is happening in Antioch. So Barnabas makes the 300-mile trek from Jerusalem to Antioch. And I just love what it says about Barnabas. When he arrived, so this is chapter 11, verse 23. When Barnabas arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad I want to pause there for a moment because the name of this podcast is Be a Barnabas. The name of this episode is Be a Barnabas. And this is one of the first keys we can take about being a Barnabas. He saw what the Lord had done. He saw what the grace of God had done. And he was glad. I want you to pause and first of all, let's just think about Barnabas traveling to this city, a very long journey. I mean, if he did 10 miles a day, it took 30 days. If he did 20 miles a day, it took 15 days, two weeks. He was probably on the road with these dusty, dusty, he's in the desert, these dusty roads, probably not enough water. He's on the road for at least two weeks, close to a month. And he gets there and he sees what the grace of God had done. So when he sees the church in Antioch, when he goes to their worship services, he sees the grace of God. He can see it. It's like tangible and right in front of his eyes. There's no denying that this is the grace of God. And his response, he's not jealous. He's not like, oh my goodness, what are they doing that we're not doing in Jerusalem? We should." We should do that so that we're better. I mean, Jerusalem is where the church began. It's where the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost. Jerusalem is the hub. It always has been the hub of the people of Israel. We need to keep it the hub. Let's steal what they're doing and take it back. Like, that wasn't his attitude. I mean, I'm sure he did want to take it back to Jerusalem, but his attitude was, wow, look at what the grace of God is doing. And he was glad. He was glad. I want us to think about when is the last time in your life that you saw something that was exciting, that was worth being celebrated. And your first response was, look at what the grace of God has done. Look at what the grace of God has done. And it filled you with joy. That ought to be our response when we see things worth celebrating. It's not what he did or what she did or what they did or what this person accomplished or this group accomplished. It is, what has the grace of God done? Let us celebrate it and let us be glad for it. That's what it would be to be a Barnabas. And he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So he encouraged the people. The next line, verse 24, tells us more about Barnabas. It says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I would love it if people could say about me, when she sees what the grace of God is doing, she is glad and she encourages us in that. She is a good woman. She is full of the Holy Spirit, and she is full of faith. I mean, oh my goodness, if people could say that about me, that would be it. Like, there would be nothing more I would want them to say about me. She was a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. She was glad when she saw the grace of God, and she encouraged us. That is what I want people to say about me. That's what it would be to be a Barnabas. That is where I want to shoot for. Like, I want to shoot for that. I want to aim at that. Be that kind of person. And then Barnabas even does more. (laughs) Like, so he has encouraged the church. He's encouraged them to walk faithfully with God, to keep trusting him with all their hearts. And then it's like God reminds him of this fiery preacher from a decade ago who he took to Caesarea and put on a boat and sailed him off to Tarsus because he was being threatened to, to be killed in Jerusalem. So Barnabas helped to, to save him and sent him off on a boat a decade ago. And he knew that this man had received a call from God to preach to the Gentiles. And now a decade later, he's in a church that gets it, that is preaching to the Gentiles, that is seeking out the Gentiles, that is celebrating when the Holy Spirit is showing up and filling these Gentiles. He remembers Saul from a decade ago, and he goes to Tarsus to look for him. Chapter 11, verse 25 says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, he went to Tarsus, which is approximately 150 miles from Antioch. When you look at it, it looks like it would be shorter to go by sea than to go by land. I don't know which way he went, by sea or by land. But if he went 150 miles over land, that is again, it's a week's journey at least. In the mountains, the Tarsus mountains are huge mountains or the Tor- it's the Taurus mountains that are surround Tarsus. And they're huge. And he went trekking through them to find Saul. And he found him. I don't know how he found him. I don't know how he had to search for him. I just have no idea how you go searching for somebody when there's zero technology to use. And you haven't, probably haven't heard from each other for 10 years. And he went looking for him. And the Lord led his way and he found him and when he found him he brought him back to Antioch and it says for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and they taught great numbers of people and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch chapter 11 verse 26 When the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, it was not a favorable term. Of course, the ending I-A-N-S would indicate those who belong to a certain group. And then Christ, of course. So Christians are those who belong to Christ, which is wonderful. It did not begin as a favorable term, though. They were very much looked down upon. They were a great minority at the time. And they were seen as rather crazy and they were persecuted severely. So it wasn't termed favorably that they were first called Christians at Antioch. I would say that I think that that is now becoming true again in our culture in the United States. I think for a long time it was assumed and largely true for... A couple hundred years that most people were Christians in the United States. Now I would say that the term when you tell others that you're a Christian or that you're a Christ follower, I think that that now is again carrying some derogatory baggage with it. I still say it. I'm very proud to be a follower of Christ. It's an honor and a joy and a privilege to be a Christ follower. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, first to the Jews and then to the Greeks. Praise Jesus. I am not ashamed to be called a Christ follower. It is my joy. But I would say that I think the term is seen in a derogatory way often now culturally, and I think it will increasingly be that way. And that is definitely how it was in Antioch when they were first called Christians. So Saul and Barnabas preach together for a year in Antioch, and the church grows and grows and grows. I want to pause here. We are going to come back to Acts chapter 11 and finish out when they journey to Jerusalem. But first I want to pause here, and I just want to look a little bit more closely at Barnabas and who he has been. So I'm going to look, first of all, at the first time we meet Barnabas in the pages of Scripture is Acts chapter 4, In Acts chapter four, so this is even before Paul was even converted, probably by a couple of years before Paul was converted to Jesus. The early church is growing and we are going to meet Barnabas in this text. I'm gonna read from Acts chapter four, verses 32 through 37. So this would be shortly after Pentecost. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons amongst them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and they brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So that is the first time we ever meet Barnabas. His real name is Joseph. We learn later that he is a cousin of John Mark, who is very likely the Mark who wrote the gospel account according to Mark. So he's a cousin or an uncle. He has a family relation with John Mark. I find it beautiful that it says that he is a Levite from Cyprus. So he's not from Jerusalem. He is a a, a Jew whose family would have dispersed probably back in in the diaspora times when when Jerusalem was, or when Israel was attacked by Samaria, and when the land of Judah, the southern portion of Israel, was attacked by the Babylonians, and the Jews were dispersed. So his family went to Cyprus, and they lived on the island of Cyprus, probably stayed there for a few hundred years, perhaps, and now because those attacks were in 722 BC and about 539 BC, I think, was the attack on Judah. Anyway, so long time, long, long, long time that his family, if, the, if his family went to Cyprus then. So it was hundreds of years prior that his family may have gone to Cyprus. But anyway, like I said, Cyprus is a island in the Mediterranean. When did he come to Jesus to meet Jesus, to believe in Jesus? We don't know. It's possible that he was in Jerusalem for Pentecost. I mean, he almost for sure would have been because Jewish men did travel to Jerusalem every single Pentecost, as well as a few other festivals every single year. But at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit poured out and all of the apostles were speaking in many, many languages, we know there were people from Cyprus there at that time in Jerusalem, and so possibly Barnabas heard the gospel then and came to Christ then. And then there's other believers and scholars that I've read who who think that he was actually in Jerusalem while Jesus was preaching and may have been one of the large crowd of disciples who followed Jesus. Anyway, I love that the disciples, the apostles who were Jesus' direct disciples, I love that they renamed him from Joseph. They renamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So clearly in his character, he was an encourager. That's who he was. He clearly encouraged them through all of the trials of the early church, through the ins and outs and the ups and downs and the pain and the suffering. He encouraged them. He sold a field that he owned and brought all of the money to the apostles and laid it at their feet. So that is that is his character. He is generous. He is a giver. He is an encourager. And that helps us to understand another part of his character that we see. We looked at this last week, but I just want to touch on it again. We see in Acts chapter 9... After Saul spends three years in Arabia and he comes to Jerusalem, the text in Acts chapter 9 says that the disciples did not believe him and they were afraid of him. But Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 27, says, But Barnabas, I just love those words, but Barnabas took him, Saul, and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So, to do all those things, to be able to tell the apostles all these things about Saul, it indicates to me that Barnabas had to take time to get to know Saul. He had to be so brave when everybody else was afraid, he had to be brave to sit down with Saul and hear his story, to hear about his conversion, to hear about what the Lord had said to him, to hear about his past and to hear about his change. And probably, I bet he heard some of the information that Jesus had passed on to Saul while Saul was in Arabia. And he encouraged, I mean, you can see the son of encouragement within Barnabas, that he encouraged, like gave courage to Saul to share his story. And to be vulnerable, to be open with his story so that the apostles could see that he was real and legit and that they could then come to trust him. That all happened because Barnabas, but Barnabas, but Barnabas. And my goodness, do I want to be that? I want to be that. First of all, I would love if people could give me the name daughter of encouragement i don't know i don't know if people see me that way or not but my goodness i want to, to be i want to be somebody who could have the nickname daughter of encouragement and i want to be somebody who has the courage to Go up to somebody who's not being accepted, somebody who has a a story to share, but nobody's willing to listen to the story and get to know the real person on the inside. To vouch for that person when you've discovered who is on the inside and to vouch for them and say, yes, this person is legit, this person is genuine, this person is real, this person is valuable, this person is loved, this person has purpose. Like, I wanna be that person. I want to be that Barnabas to look out for those people and to seek them out and to encourage them and to mobilize them. I mean, Barnabas is mobilizing Paul here. He's trusting that God had a plan, even if it's uncomfortable, and he's going for it. He's just going for it. And then, of course, what we just read about the way he is in Antioch and the way he goes and looks for Saul in Tarsus because he just knows it's like the Lord has spoken to him like Barnabas remember that guy from a decade ago this is the time this is the time Barnabas go look for him and go get him and bring him back be a mobilizer because the time for Saul to be mobilized is right now and Barnabas goes he just goes he obeys God and he goes I want to be a Barnabas. Now, interestingly, when I started planning out this podcast, the top of my notebook still for this podcast says, who is your Barnabas? And I was looking at the question like, who is a person who's encouraging you? Who is seeking you out? Who is taking the time to hear your story? Who is the person who is helping to mobilize you in the mission that God has called you to? And the more I studied it and the more I wrote, I was like, well, that is true. Those are questions we need to think about. Who is a Barnabas in our life? But a more important question for us to think about is, am I being a Barnabas? Am I being a Barnabas? Am I seeking out those that need somebody to vouch for them? Am I listening to God and, and just giving courage to those who need courage to do what they've been called to do? Am I being so generous for the church, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I am just laying down what I have and saying, here, Lord, use it how you want. Here, Lord, use it Use it how you want. And not just with our money, certainly with our money, but also with our gifts and our talents and our times and our resources and our family. And am I giving and just open arm being like, I lay it at your feet, Jesus. Use use me how you will. Am I being a Barnabas? That is, that is the question in front of us today. I want to go back to Acts chapter 11. I stopped at verse 26 when it says that they stayed in Antioch for a year. They taught great numbers of people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And then I want to go on to verse 27 and find out what they did after this year in Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the others, for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So they send Barnabas and Saul back to Jerusalem. After they've been there for about a year, they send them to Jerusalem. Uh, We find out in Galatians that a Gentile, a Greek young man named Titus, goes with them as well. And they go to Jerusalem. They deliver their gift. Some scholars think that this might be when, if you've heard of the Jerusalem Council from Acts chapter 15, which occurred in 48 or 49 AD, some people think that this is the same trip to Jerusalem as that. I don't believe so, because it seems like in his first letter, Paul's earliest letter that he wrote to the Galatians, it seems like he would have recorded something about that uh, because he talks about a lot of the same topics in that letter, as is talked about in the Jerusalem Council, but he never does mention it. So it seems that the Jerusalem Council comes later, and it comes later in the book of Acts as well. It's in chapter 15 after their first missionary journey. So I think this is a separate trip to Jerusalem when they come back from this trip to jerusalem we need to jump over to the very end of chapter 12. so we jump like an entire chapter of scripture we jump over to chapter 12 starting at verse 25 and they are coming back now from their jerusalem mission chapter 12 verse 25 says when barnabas and saul had finished their mission they returned from jerusalem taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaan, who had been brought up with the Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. So, as they sent them off, this is the first missionary journey that the Apostle Paul is going on, how, that is recorded in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we have three missionary journeys from Paul, and then his fourth journey, recorded in the book of Acts, is his journey to Rome where he is imprisoned. It is Assumed that he took more journeys after that. But we don't have any record necessarily of anything after that. So this is the sending off. When the whole church, they are worshiping the Lord. And they know, they know as a church, like their mission as a church has been reaching out to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, to the non-Jews. And they know as a church, as the body, they know that it is time to to send out missionaries to preach to the Jews, yes, but also to the Greeks and Gentiles, the non-Jews living throughout the Roman Empire. They know it's time, and the Lord makes it clear to them. And I, w- I will say, too, that it says that they, they intentionally sought the Lord about this it says that they had been worshiping the Lord and fasting and they fasted and they prayed so they had taken intentional time to seek God and to say God who should go and where should they go the Lord made it clear set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them So the body of Christ prayed for them. They placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Set apart for me those that I have called Barnabas and Saul for this particular mission I have called them. I want to come back to that in just a moment. But first I just want to throw a really, really fun possibility your direction. This just gets me so excited. So we know from Earlier in Acts chapter 11, we know that when the church in Antioch was begun and was growing, that men from Cyprus and Cyrene came and and grew the church. They aren't named, but they're named here. Some of the prophets and teachers of the church are named. So we have Barnabas, and we know that Jerusalem sent him up. The next one in the list is Simeon the Niger, Simeon called Niger, and then the guy next to him is Lucius of Cyrene. Well, here is what is so fun. Some scholars wonder, and some scholars really think that Simeon called Niger is very possibly the same Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross for Jesus. We know that Simon of Cyrene carried the cross when Jesus was too weak to carry the cross. simeon is just another version of the name simon and niger means that he has dark skin so simeon called dark or black skinned and he's very possibly from cyrene same as lucius did simeon and lucius come together from cyrene and is this the same man who carried the cross of the lord jesus christ who helped to plant the church in Antioch. I have mentioned that I'm reading Paul the Novel by Walt Wingren. I've read it before. I'm reading it again. And he must firmly believe that Simeon the Niger is, in fact, Simon of Cyrene. And as he puts in novel form, as he's writing about the Antioch church, and he writes beautifully about the gatherings and the worship and the speaking in tongues and, and the Holy Spirit falling on Gentiles and Jews alike. And he just writes beautifully about it. And then he, in, in his writing, he, he has the believers telling us, Simeon, Simeon, tell us the story, tell us the story. And one guest in the church says, What story is he going to tell? And the Apostle Paul, or Barnabas, I can't remember which one of the men, responds, and he says, the only story, the only story there is to tell. Come on, Simeon, tell the story. And then Simeon, he begins recollecting about that day and the crowds and being dragged into the street and having a beam thrown on his back and being forced to carry the cross and then not knowing what was going on, and then watching at the crucifixion the whole time that Jesus was crucified, the whole time he was dying, and knowing by the end of it that this man truly is the Son of God, like the Roman centurion proclaimed as Jesus died. And he tells the story of the crucifixion, and the church is just filled with worship And the Holy Spirit just comes upon them as they worship in response to the story. And I just love the way it's written because Barnabas says the only story, it's the only story to ever tell, tell the story, Simeon. Anyway, it's very beautiful. So I just want to put that out there. Nobody knows for sure if Simeon called Niger is the same as Simon of Cyrene, but there's a great chance that it could possibly have been. And then the next name there is Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So Herod had killed in Acts chapter 12, or right before this, Herod had killed James, the brother of John. He was an enemy of the church. And here we have a man who had been brought up with Herod. So not sure what that means. They grew up in the same household or they were neighbors, cousins. Not sure. But he is a believer in Jesus and he is there as one of the preachers in the Antioch church. It's just really beautiful to think about the amazing connections in the early church and how God used people to spread the gospel for the first time ever. He is mobilizing people to spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is 2,000 years later, and he is still doing it. He's still mobilizing people to preach the gospel. The Bible is being translated in every single language that is written. And I heard at a conference I was attending this winter, I heard a number that blew my mind, and I... I don't know the accuracy of it, but I trust the conference. It was the IF conference. And at that conference, they said that the, the Bible translation goals to get the Bible translated in every single written language in the world is only 10 years from being completed. I mean, it blows my mind. Blows my mind. The Lord is still mobilizing people at a fast, fast rate to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And here is the first time that he is sending out Barnabas and Saul for their mission work. And the church sends them off and he says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And this is where I want to close tonight, to think about this calling, because, dear friend, it's not just Saul and Barnabas who have a calling. You have a calling as well. I just chose a few scripture verses that talk about a call, and I just want to share them with you. So first, looking at from Paul's own mouth out of Galatians chapter 115, he says, He says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, he knew that God had set him apart from his mother's womb. Like, not just, he didn't just set me apart on the Damascus Road, but from my mother's womb, God had already set me apart. He had already called me, this was already his plan, from my mother's womb. The same is true in Jeremiah, which was a thousand years, not quite a thousand Several hundred years before the Apostle Paul, the prophet Jeremiah heard from the Lord when when, when, the, when the Lord called Jeremiah into public ministry. The Lord said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That even goes before he was growing in his mother's womb. He says, Before I formed you in the womb, Before you were even in your mother's womb, I already knew you. Before you were born, I already had set you apart. I already had appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And this isn't just for the great names of the Bible. It is certainly for the great names of the Bible, but it is for you and me as well. Because Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul wrote, but we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we have been created as a handiwork of God, a masterpiece, an artwork of God, for the purpose of doing good works for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and you know what? Those good works were prepared in advance. God prepared them in advance for you to do, for you to walk in them. And then in Romans eight twenty nine and 30, Paul writes again, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Like, if you trust in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you have been called. You have been called to ministry. If you're wondering, have I been called to ministry? Yes. Does God have a mission for me? Yes. Does God have a plan for my life and does it involve preaching the gospel? Yes. (laughs) If you trust in Jesus, you are called. And you weren't called last week or last night or last year. You were called before you were created in your mother's womb. God has a call on your life. Yes. It is to preach the gospel. Yes. He had this plan for you before you were born. Yes. He has set you apart to use you for his namesake. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. God has a call on your life. Preach the gospel. Be a Barnabas. Go out and encourage and mobilize others as well. Go out and love others in the name of Jesus. Be bold with and for others in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Have a great night. Thanks for joining me.